Hey, welcome to episode one of the How to Write a Novel podcast, where I'm going to chronicle my wacky adventures of picking away at writing a novel every single day. There is an episode zero that came yesterday with some introductory remarks and uh, like a writing sample, an old story that I wrote. If you want to get some grounding. So that one is kind of long. I'm expecting that these uh, regular daily episodes will not be as long. But who knows? Actually, I kind of think maybe these early ones might be a little on the longer side because I just feel like I got dumb shit to say. And then as the slog continues and as my soul is slowly crushed under the fucking existential weight of trying to write a novel, perhaps they will get shorter. But I'm uh, sort of trying to nail down a format for this show. I'm thinking I'll just start with uh, a little description of what I wrote yesterday. Then blab about whatever topic is on my mind after that. And at the end of every week, I'm going to gather up the whole week's worth of shows and put those on YouTube as like one big long video each week. So if you like a fucking week-long blast instead of a daily one, there'll be that. So what I wrote yesterday is, uh, as I described a little in the last episode, I'm writing this book about aliens, basically. I'll get more in-depth about it in the future, but generally, just to sort of generally set the scene, I got this species of rhino-type creatures, because I'm all about metaphors. I don't need things to be too subtle. So, big, tough-skinned, horn-having, gray, tall, muscular rhino people. And they don't spread too much out into the greater galaxy. They mostly just stick to their homeworld, which is a problem because their homeworld blows up which is a whole side issue that uh, this particular book doesn't deal with too much. This is more of a personal story, because, you know, like if uh, your city got bombed during a war, you're not going to go get revenge for your city, (laughs) you know? You're not going to find the people who bombed your town. You're just going to be a person dealing with that situation. So this is similar, because that's something uh, that's maybe a little lacking in high fantasy and in sci-fi is the uh, the personal story. Everything's so big and bombastic and galaxy-spanning and uh, that's not so much what I'm interested in. So, there are an indeterminate but very small number of these rhino people still alive. And a handful of them end up on the space station of these jellyfish-type creatures. So, the, you know, basic uh, conflict is pretty obvious. Big rough and tumble rhino people versus mushy jellyfish folk, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then uh, hopefully, hopefully I'll have the style and panache as a writer to bring some nuance and uh, relatability to this extremely obvious setup. But the main character is a rhino girl named Serret, C-E-R-A-T. Serret or Serat? Let's say Serret. 
I guess I should know that, right? But I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a, I'll get into all my, how I came up with weird alien names too, but it's just a, it's just the Latin for rhino, you know, that's all. Ceratotherium, I think is the full word. And I'm like, cool, I like that. That's a cool name. I'll use that. I called her species Thetherium. Her planet is Therios. <laughs> if people Google these names, I'm fine with it being super obvious. Like, oh, well, that's where that name came from. So there's Serret, the surly rhino teen. And her main liaison on this station is a jellyfish teen boy. <laughs> so it's like, it's like a teen story, but totally not who his name is Quaylem, which isn't really his name. It's that his name is so weird that their interspecies translator, like it doesn't work. It just garbles his name. So that's kind of the best she can pull out of the garble is like, okay, I guess, I guess that's your name. So that's what she calls him anyway. So Serret and Quaylem, girl rhino and boy jellyfish man. <laughs> so, so that's who we're talking about. And my whole kind of, uh, my whole thing, my whole shtick is just to write every day, even if it's only a very, very small amount. So I was working on a conversation between these two characters. And yesterday I was still working on it. And tomorrow I will still be working on it, <laughs> you know? It'll probably take me a week to get through this one fucking conversation. But that has been the technique that has kind of unlocked my uh, productivity as a writer, more than anything else, is to not worry about how much work I do each day. Just to make sure I do something each day. And it's surprising how fast it adds up. There's this great quote that I can't remember anymore where I heard it. But the quote is, People overestimate what they can do in one day, but underestimate what they can do in one year. And I feel like that's really true, like, it's really common with writing for people to set parameters for themselves. Like, if I remember right, Stephen King's thing is that he wakes up in the morning and he writes until noon. Which obviously works for him, so I mean, I can't fucking say that wouldn't work, but uh, word counts are a big one. Gotta get 500 words, gotta get a thousand words, gotta get a page, whatever, each day. And I feel like uh, that kind of stuff is just setting oneself up for failure because even if it sounds like a reasonable amount like oh 500 words a day i can do 500 words but you got to multiply that idea like i could do 500 words today sure maybe tomorrow maybe i could do it for a week but you got to multiply that by the rest of your life <laughs> like what's really useful and what's really valuable is to come up with something sustainable something that won't break you down because even if it feels like you're not asking that much of yourself you are <laughs> you know the weight is more than enough to crush you you'll have a day where you just won't do the 500 and you won't decide it you won't just decide one day like fuck it i'm taking today off i'm not going to do it it's just going to happen you'll just get busy and you'll get distracted and you just won't do your 500 words and then it's out of your mind and you won't do it the next day and you won't do it the next day. And next thing you know, it's been fucking three months and you've just stopped. You've just stopped writing. So for me, it has been way better to remove all expectation of productivity. 
if I fucking sit down, look at the last sentence that I wrote, remove a comma from it, and then put the comma back in, that's fine. I did my work for the day. That's fine. <laughs> you know, I feel like that's probably about the least a person could conceivably do. But as long as you do that much and you do it every day, you'll be fine because you'll have days that that won't happen. Hopefully every day you'll do a little more than that. But, but yeah, just to take away all that expectation. Cause if you, if you set things up as a battle, of like, all right, every day, every day, I've got to fucking marshal the troops and gather my willpower and I got to win. You really think you're going to win every day? Fuck that. You will not. <laughs> you know, you will lose. You got to set things up to be as easy as possible, as approachable as possible. Because the days are just going to fly by. We're all adults here. Time is going by faster and faster. A year goes by in a blink. You won't even notice. A year will have gone by and you'll have written a shitload even if all you do is a tiny little bit every day. Because doing it every day is the trick. And I like the everyday thing, not the six days and one day off. I remember I read this in a Gretchen Rubin book. She wrote that book, The Happiness Project. She's a good example of like someone who it's hard to say how much I really learned from her books, necessarily. But I really like her books, and I'm really glad I read them just because they put you in the right mindset. You know, they just help you feel like your goals are attainable, and they have, like, practical ways of approaching stuff. If you just try to be hard-headed, and you just try to blast your way through, if you just, in the case of writing, if you just push like it's a plow, and every day you just push the plow and push the plow, eventually you're gonna stop pushing the plow. Like, that's not a sustainable method. But if you can find ways to make stuff fun for yourself or make things easier for yourself, to remove obstacles, you wanna marshal as many forces as you can. You wanna have an army on your side, even if it's only so that you can write one sentence a day, <laughs> you know? That's fine. Because as long as you don't stop, everything will be great. And everything will eventually work out. So one of Gretchen Rubin's things that stuck with me was don't take a day off of whatever you're trying to do, whatever habit you're trying to establish, because it just adds an extra layer of calculation that you need to do every day. If every day you're thinking, should this be my day off? If I'm going to take one day off a week, is it gonna be today? You shouldn't be putting that option in front of yourself. It's not fair to you, you know? Because every day you're dangling this, what's the word for it? Like a get out of jail free card. You know, you're just dangling this bobble in front of you of like, oh man, today I could win the lottery. Today could be the day I don't have to work. Today could be the day I don't have to face down this book. Whereas if you just work every day, then you never need to think about that. You never need to be faced with that option. And again, it's like that multiplication effect. If you work every day, then that's it. You're just like, all right, well, I just got to write today. It doesn't matter if I'm sick, doesn't matter if I'm busy. I just got to get in one sentence, you know? Whereas if you've always got the day off hanging over your head, 
again, multiply that by your entire life. Every day now for the rest of your life, you're gonna have to face this additional hurdle of like, do I take today off? It's just easier to just take it away. It's kind of like that sort of famous, that semi-famous story about Steve Jobs, how he only had one outfit. Because he just didn't want to bother spending his energy on that every morning of like, what should I wear? Who gives a shit? I'm gonna wear a turtleneck and jeans and I'm done. No matter how small the amount of work each day, no matter how easy it seems, it's still gonna take every fucking thing you've got to keep doing it. So you've gotta put every advantage on your side that you can and take away every obstacle possible. So that was a little rant that you'll probably hear many more times. I have a feeling that this uh, podcast will probably be quite redundant in many ways, especially given that it's daily. But I think these are just the things you just need to hear. You just need to always remember. You have to always keep these things in mind. If you're tired of being like I was for many, many years of just writing inconsistently and never getting things done. If you want to get over that hump, these are the ways. This is how you get over it. So, okay, back to what I was talking about. So what I wrote yesterday, Sarah at the Rhino Girl is talking to Quaylum, the jellyfish man. (laughs) And I'm not going to lie to you, I kind of wish the novel I was working on right now wasn't a sci-fi novel, just so it would be easier to describe and it wouldn't sound so ludicrous on the face of it. But as I described yesterday, they're sitting in this cafeteria and Quaylum looks a little bit uncomfortable, which is unusual because the jellyfish people, it's their space station. It's full of these jellyfish people. I mean, they, they're comfortable there. And particularly to the outsider, to Surat the Rhino Girl, they all feel the same. They feel like a big homogenous lump that she does not get along with. So she's surprised to see that this guy is uncomfortable in this situation. And, you know, she's starting to learn the nuances of their civilization a little bit, of their society. So these jellyfish creatures, they're called nadarians, with a C in the front, which again is just, I just looked up the Latin word for jellyfish, (laughs) you know, and that's it. That's their phylum or whatever. That's their class. They're called nadarians or Knadarians, if you want to pronounce the C. There's a weird way you can pronounce it with the C, but I'm just... I was thinking of taking away the C and just calling them Nadarians with an N, but then it looks like Narnia, so I'm going to leave the C. I mean, they're weird aliens, right? So they might as well have a weird name that's like a like pterodactyl, you know, that just has a useless letter in the front. Although that is always a dangerous thing to do in a book. My favorite example of that ever is Voldemort. Voldemort is the stupidest fucking name. It just sounds so dumb. It's like the worst name for a bad guy I've ever heard. But then I found out later, it's actually Voldemort. It's the French phrase, stealer of death. And that's awesome. That's awesome conceptually. It sounds awesome, Voldemort. But then they made the movie and nobody checked with JK Rowling and they just called him Voldemort. And now he just sounds stupid forever, you know? It's such a shame. She had such a clever... I mean, I I was so shocked when I learned that because it went from 
maybe my least favorite villain name of all time, to one of my favorites, Valdemar. That's so cool. But it was ruined forever because people didn't realize it was French and that they weren't supposed to pronounce the T. So maybe this will be a similar thing, even though I call these jellyfish folk the Nadarian, maybe people will call them Knadarians <laughs> or something, I don't know. Anyway, so the Nadarian, the jellyfish people, they don't really have faces as such. They, they are in a human shape. They wear little suits to make them basically bipedal just to not freak everyone out. But underneath, they're not like that. You know, they're just, they can take whatever form they want. They're big goo balls. So their heads are just smooth head shapes. You know, there's no features on them. And they do use the front of their heads primarily to see from. But sitting in this cafeteria, the way the dude Quailum is like, just looking around kind of uncomfortably, Surratt asks him, like, hey, can you see out of the back of your head, too? <laughs> like, is your whole head just a, a big, weird sensory organ? Or is there some difference between the front and the back? And he says that there is. Like, the front is where they see from. The back, he can make out, you know, basic shapes, maybe. Or he can determine, like, the brightness of something. He can see dark patches. And her asking the question about the way this jelly dude's head works gave me this idea for this nice little conversational run where she's like, okay, good to know, you know, if you can't see that well from behind, if I ever need to kill you, that's what I'll do then. I'll sneak up from behind and gore you. And they have a little talk about, uh, Quailum, the jellyfish guy, says like, you know, you could try, but we have these inborn jellyfish defenses that that you would probably not do too well with if you just, you know, tried to directly attack us like that. And her response is like, oh, really? Like, if my head is through you, you know, if I have just gored your fucking whole heart out, your whatever you have, your body, if there's a hole in you and my head's through it, come on, you really think whatever your stingy jellyfish bullshit is gonna save you at that point? I'm sure it would hurt, I'm sure it wouldn't be pleasant, but you're already dead. You're fucking dead. It's funny because I decided early on writing this book, I'm like, I'm not going to put swearing in it because it seems weird for, you know, the book is in English, but obviously none of these creatures are speaking English. And it just seems weird to put English swear words in there. So I just decided not to. But when I describe it, <laughs> tons of swear words. So then they got into this little conversation about how how the rhino people, they just work on instincts, you know, they're all about it. Their whole kind of thing is that thinking is overrated. Thinking is just an opportunity to hesitate. The only thing thinking can do is give you the option to stop. <laughs> so yeah, Sarah talks about how important to her people this notion is of, of act, just act, don't think about it. Don't give yourself time to second-guess your decisions. Just act. Just go with your instinct and BAM! And that's why in the case of a rhino versus jelly fucking battle, she would just gore him so fast before either of them even really knew what was going on. And now it's like, okay, well guess what? You're dead and I win. 
And it's kind of a barbarian versus the scholar sort of situation where Qualum is like, yeah, yeah, okay, great. That's great for you, but who cares? <laughs> We're on a space station right now. We're well beyond the kind of situation or the kind of world where it matters who can throw the first punch, you know, or who can hit hardest. Whereas she insists that this thinking or lack of it spills over into everything. If you overthink, you'll always hesitate, you'll always ultimately lose. Whereas if you're the first to act, you always win. <laughs> you know? Maybe not uh, necessarily the most nuanced or realistic philosophy, but this is the equivalent of like a 16-year-old, and not only that, a war orphan, traumatized, and just kind of an asshole 16-year-old <laughs> who is a literal rhino. So that's the little conversation, and I just, like, it's just, this is why I think the slow and steady process is so great. None of this was in my head, none of this was in my notes, none of this was planned. It was just that the next line of dialogue was nothing interesting. So I just parked it for the day until I thought of something better, and it's like, all right, cool. Because this is such a nice way, too, of getting across not only the philosophy of these two creatures, but just the, the basic physiology of them even, of like, how does this, how does that body work compared to this body, <laughs> you know? And that's, uh, that's really all I did yesterday, just a little back and forth, and I got kind of stuck again, of like, okay, still here. I've got places I want to get to with this conversation, but I'm not sure quite how to get there. And as the conversation keeps kind of going off in different ways, I might not get there at all, you know, I might just uh, end up shelving those notes for later or for never, you know. But yeah, a very small amount of work that I did yesterday, as it will be all days. But I was really pleased with that one. It's just like, yeah, that's some, that's just feels right, feels good. And this type of thing is really what this whole book is gonna be, really. I'll, I'll describe the book in more detail a little later on, just so when I'm talking about it each day, there'll be a little more context for what I'm actually talking about and what's going on. But really, all of my writing is kind of about this. It's just about conversations, really. And I heard it said somewhere that, uh, you know, people skim books a lot, but nobody skims dialogue. <laughs> and that's mostly true. I have found, as I get older, I do actually skim dialogue. I guess, though, the thing is, if I skim dialogue, that's just, I'm moments away from just, just quitting all together. Like, I, I find that books and movies and TV and everything, like, they never turn around for me anymore. I pretty much know very early on if I like this thing or not, and it just never, that opinion never changes, so I'm less willing to hold on to something I don't like. Because it just doesn't pay off, it's just not worth it, it's better to move on to something else. So yeah, if I'm reading a book and it's starting to lose me, so I start skimming, that's uh, already a bad sign, but I will, yeah, like you just kind of, your eye gravitates to dialogue. And then if I start skipping dialogue, it's, it's all over. But that's what I like. I really like conversations. That's really, that's where the action happens to me. Actual action is not exciting to me in 
in anything, in movies or in books or in any format. Because that's not where anything gets decided. That's not where anything changes. So okay, I think that's enough for today. I was kind of thinking I might do a little rundown of kind of my history of writing real briefly and just like the different phases of it. But uh, it's kind of remarkable. Like once, once I get talking, time goes by a lot faster than I expect. And I'd rather keep these, you know, in the shorter side since they will be every day forever or until I finish this book which is <laughs> essentially forever <laughs> forever is a good way to think of it so that'll be enough for today I'm also gonna end each episode with a song just cuz I like songs I love fucking music I have a music podcast called I have a ham radio which you can find at keithcourage.com all my stuff is at keithcourage I don't update that one very often, but uh, I just like music a lot. So I'm like, hey, if I'm going to do a podcast, fuck it. I can throw a song on at the end every day. I got 10,000 songs that I love that would be cool. But I also think it's kind of appropriate and handy for a project like this. Because I get a lot of ideas from music. Not necessarily from the actual lyrics most of the time, but it's, uh, as I was saying yesterday, I'm a big fan of tone. I think if a story has a good tone, I can overlook a lot of other stuff. You know, even if it's not that gripping of a plot or whatever, if it has good tone goes a long way and it's like surprisingly hard to do. So I find I have a lot of uh, thoughts or ideas for stories based on music. Because if a song hits you the right way, I guess I kind of like skip ahead a little bit where I'm like, okay, what if this story someday got made into a movie and then this scene could be scored with this song, you know? So I think uh, putting a song at the end, it's not just an indulgence. Feel free to skip, of course, but uh, I think this could be like almost, like if you think of it, like a little Zen style writing exercise to just take a little moment out of your day and just listen to a song and just see if it sparks anything in you. Just think about the tone while you're listening and just see what pops up. Because probably if you're a writer type person, you've got all kinds of half-formed ideas and little starts of stories and different notes for different things. And So you never know. It's like sometimes I'll hear a song and I'm like, oh, that's so cool and that makes me feel this one way. Where would that fit? So actually, let's start with the song that was kind of like my anchor song for this very book when I thought about this this like post-traumatic stress disorder rattled rhino alien girl who her whole society and even her physiology her whole fucking deal is about being strong and aggressive and she's trying to play it off like, yeah, man, I'm still me, I'm still Ethereum, I'm still fucking strong, I'm still tough. I'll fucking gore through your body, bro, I don't care, fuck you. I can talk crazy shit, I can make jokes. I'm a badass. But, the reality of the situation is that everybody's gone. Everyone she ever knew, her whole fucking planet is gone and she's just being crushed under the weight of this impossible 
impossible to digest situation. And she's of a culture and of a society where there's no notion of that anyway. There's no notion of show weakness or get stronger by admitting what's wrong with you. None of that. It's all tough it out. Because, you know, what's the problem? What's really so bad? You're still alive? Fuck it. So your arm got cut off. You're still alive? Fuck it, you know? There's no real conception in her whole society for a fucking problem this big. Hey, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with being one of the last? How do you deal with the fact that everyone is gone? And what must it feel like to be inside that person's head, inside that mindset? And the song that, to me, just fits so perfectly is this Nine Inch Nails song called Burning Bright, parentheses, Field on Fire. And uh, it's from their Not the Actual Events EP, and man, it is perfect. It is so perfect. I'm going down, of course I am, as if I ever had a choice. Ah, perfect. So let's listen to that song and think about the fucking burning, smoldering brain of a crazy rhino war orphan. Or you can think about whatever. Think about whatever writing you're working on and see if it sparks any ideas. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Oh,